When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tomorrow's car is in stock today. Tech drive the Hyundai Tucson turbo diesel all-wheel drive. Follow Cobra Golf on Insta at Cobra Puma Golf AU and you could win a King 3D printed putter. Mornings on SEN. You've got to ask yourself the question, is that a good advertisement for our format? Um, 34 wickets in two days. Uh, pretty one-sided affair, I would say. So I think that kind of leads into what everyone's thinking actually. Um, yeah, I'm obviously a purist of this format and we want to see the f- game go to four or five days. And yeah, just the way, the nature of it, how it started to play with some seriously steep bounce with the old ball. I mean, you kind of hiding to none as a batting unit. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about it, only two batsmen, maybe three batsmen only like applied themselves half decently and scored runs. So yeah, it's, uh, I don't think it was a very good um, test wicket, no. In your opinion as a player with plenty of experience now, is this fit for purpose, having a strip that supplies a result like this inside two days in your view? No, I mean, I think everyone understands that this is not what we want. That's not the ideal scenario we want. You know, we love the pace in the wicket. We love the bounce. We love two fast bowling attacks going at it but uh, for a game to finish in under two days is obviously not ideal for, for test cricket. Yeah that's probably the most challenging wicket I've seen in Australia uh, in terms of um, seam, up and down bounce, a um, bit of everything really. Spin some of the stuff in the first innings that Gaza got out of that wicket was um, very interesting so very challenging for us batters um, from both sides in particular with two quality pace attacks. So uh, fingers crossed the wicket's a little bit better in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, well, if it's anything like last year, it might not be, right? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, we'll wait and see. Well, it's one of the more remarkable test matches we've seen in Australia all over in two days. Plenty of talk about the pitch. Uh, Jared Waitley called it all. He's been good enough to join me this morning as he makes his way back to Melbourne. G'day, Jared. Jules, hello. What an odd feeling on a Monday morning to be heading home from a test match. You know, one of the first things I thought, Jared, before we get into the serious stuff, when it all it all uh, unfolded yesterday, I thought, if only Billy Joel was playing on Monday night oh, in Melbourne. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I have this routine, I suppose you develop it over time, as I get to the city and do my ironing and set myself up. I'd always sort of set up for four days. So I feel like I've, I've ironed two shirts and a couple of polos that didn't need to be on. I'm really sour about it. <laughs> Get them out on Boxing Day. Uh, in all seriousness, though, we know the ICC rates test pitches. Where will they rate that one? Well, if they do it on face value, it will be poor, and that comes with ramifications for the Gabba. Uh, it's the first time in living memory that this, is, this has happened in Australia, that there's a two-day test match. And I think the absurdity of it, if you just want to grab it in a snapshot, is at the end, it's the manner in which Australia registered the 34 runs to win, uh, and they came through 15 wides and four buys as those balls just started to kick right off the pitch and lift up, not only over the batters, but cleared the keeper by big margins. So, 
Yeah, it, it's a really unfortunate um, happening. The curator didn't mean it to be so. He is he's taking it hard, and so he should. But long timers had never seen a test scabber pitch presented in such a way, so green and with the moisture. And what happens with that is there are indentations through the first day, like Play-Doh, and then it hardens as uh, as the sun takes the moisture out of it, and that creates ridges. And we watched balls keep low, and we watched balls kick high. And I really was left with that feeling, is had play been required today, what might mm. it have looked like? Because uh, the longer yesterday went, the, uh, the more unpredictable, let's say, the pitch was. And the long-term batters. I think Manus Labashain is, is the best guide here. He's played his shield cricket at that ground. Uh, he knows it. And he, he was really honest with us in mm. the aftermath that that's just not an acceptable pitch for a test match. So Dean Elgar, post-match, basically said it was getting to the dangerous stage. He actually spoke to the umpires about it. Would you go as far to say it was a dangerous pitch by the end of yesterday? No, but I think it might have been today. So uh, the, the, the um, Elgar has every right to raise that with the umpires, particularly as it looks like his team is going to lose. But no batter had been hit. So I think back to there was that Sheffield Shield game at the MCG where it was Victoria and Western Australia and batters were getting hit. Yep. And that's the cue for it being dangerous. Uh, and it wasn't that. I, I think there's every chance it might have been that today. But no, there was there was no reason to contemplate stopping the test match. It's just um, there's every reason to be disappointed with what was served up. So you mentioned the curators taking it hard, which is, which is fully understandable. But So why was the pitch presented like that in the first place? Yeah, it's a really hard question to answer, I think, um, as an observer. Um, te- test pitches are a, an absolute fascination to us. You never really know just by looking at them. It's not until you, they start to play. So Perth, they were confident, was going to be fast and bouncy, and it was slow and uneven. Adelaide, they've done such a good job mastering that pitch for the pink ball test, but this pitch wasn't. It was much slower than the ones that are typically there. And Brisbane, which is a revered pitch around the world, um, was like we'd never seen it before. So I'm sure there are issues around climate and the amount of rainfall that we have all been experiencing, Mm. and particularly up there, the East Coast. Uh, And then there'll be an element of misjudgment to it, which which is unfortunate, but... I know Crash spoke with the curator after play and he, he wasn't hiding. It's his responsibility and he couldn't have been more disappointed because they they do treat their pitches mm. with such care and such pride. It, it's a personal failing when they don't come up the way that they hoped. Speaking of Jared Waitley, he's on his way back to Melbourne much earlier than he would have thought of after the first test against South Africa. It was wrapped up inside two days. So as a spin-off, to that last year's Boxing Day pet test was lively. It was over on day three. So how much added pressure did this put on Matt Page and his team at the MCG to, to get it right for Boxing Day? Yes, I think it's there. Uh, so there was a determination, I think, just to pull that pitch back a little bit from where it got to last year. And I'm hugely reluctant to be critical of the MCG because they have uh, resurrected what was a dead pitch, which was ruining test cricket at the grounds. Uh, and last year was probably, no, not probably, it was just too far in favour of the ball. So how do you do that? I think it was 12 mils of grass last year. What happens if you peg that back to eight? Um, I think these are uh, 
these are variables. It's not definitive, but yes, I think there was a desire that the pitch not be quite so bowler-friendly anyway. And I think in the aftermath of this, nobody would want to see a test match go two and a bit days on the back of a two-day test. Um, but equally, is you don't want to return that MCG pitch to the mm. turgid state that it was in through those um, through that Ashes test in particular and then the India test that followed the year later. So I don't envy any of them that job, but uh, they will want a better balance between bat and ball than was there last year, certainly. So what do we read into the result of the game, given the wicket? I mean, David Warner didn't make runs, but basically no one made runs apart from Travis Head and, and Steve Smith in the first innings. We thought South Africa's batting was vulnerable. That turned out to be the case, but our batters struggled as well. So what do we actually read into the result going into the next test match? So both pace attacks are fearsome, which is exactly what was advertised. South Africa's batting lineup is very brittle and susceptible to Australia. And then raw pace will unsettle any batters. Uh, and that we saw that with Australia. So I think South Africa will treat that result as an outlier. Um, and I think there's, some certain, there's a certain logic to doing that. I think Australia will go, no, our bowl is going to be all over these batters right throughout the series. And South Africa's team balance is to shortchange themselves a batter to fully attack with the ball. Well, they're going to find it hard to come up with big targets, uh, big totals as a result of that. And I think it it further emphasises what a weapon Travis Head is in the way that he bats at five. So he is the thoroughly modern test cricketer um, and he changes the momentum of matches and those runs and the manner in which he scored them, that's the only reason Australia won. If he had been, if you cast your mind back, there was that, total touch-and-go catching the slips to Elgar, which couldn't be paid. It was 50-50 whether it carried or not. If Head goes there for next to nothing, it's hard to imagine Australia comes up with a total that wins the test. So, yeah, I think there are are certain themes that will run through the series, and there there are certain things that will only last for that test. We've got a bit of time to wait until Boxing Day, Jared. Let's hope it's a longer test, but still a pretty lively wicket as well. Safe travels back, and we'll speak to you closer to Boxing Day. Terrific, Jules. I look forward to it. And Elise Jarrett's got two freshly ironed shirts he can get for day one and day two. That's the positive of the test. Uh, finishing uh, early and getting some interesting feedback on the Gabba pitch. Um, don't both teams have to play on it? So what's the bad thing about it? Uh, Mozza says, hope we don't just see roads for the rest of the summer and the years ahead. It's great to see the ball do a bit and challenge bat and ball. And the other one here, the modern cricketer would have hated cricket before the 70s where the ball would do all kinds of unnatural things after lunch on day one. Ben Cutting, uh, now probably a little bit biased because he is a fast bowler, but he tweeted a short time ago, say what you want about the Gabba wicket. I would tune in to watch blokes bowl rockets on a fast, bouncy green seamer every day of the week. Enthralling to watch... Cricket needs ball-dominating bat matches like that every so often. So, uh, yeah, I think people would rather see ball-dominate bat, but two-day test. We only just got into the third day at the Boxing Day last year. Not ideal. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, sort of pitch is served up at the MCG this year. Before we get to the news, uh, Richard on the road wants to talk about, uh, I think, a bit of security at sporting events. G'day, Richard. Hey, Jules. Um, yeah, look, it's just a comment. I don't know what your experience is as a broadcaster going in and out of the MCG or 
uh, Amy Park or whatever the case might be. But um, security is absolutely a joke in, at um, pretty much every ground. Uh, and I've experienced it countless times where, you know, if you've got a backpack or a bag, you put it on the on the, uh, on the the table, the security yep. basically, give it a little bit of a pat, poke with a stick. They don't lift anything out. They don't search the bag. They don't look to see what's in it. Um, they, and then they go, on your way. Um, so the ability for people to smuggle flares or whatever they want in is, is literally you've got to be the most unlucky person on the planet to get busted with anything because it's virtually a free-for-all. You can take in whatever you want. And that's one of the things that absolutely needs to be addressed. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I've sort of found at times at, at certain grounds that it's not the most thorough of checks. And we understand that, you know, there's a lot of people trying to get in and they don't want to hold people up too much. But gee, it's probably more important that we make sure people aren't bringing inappropriate things into the stadiums. But you still get these arguments that, uh, and in fairness, even Lucy Zalic said it, 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 she likes the flares. I, I just don't think there's any need for it. As I said before, the co- the cons far outweigh the pros when it comes to flares at football matches. It's not the, the number one issue that came out of the weekend. But, uh, you know, if that flare doesn't get thrown on the ground, uh, maybe we didn't see what, what we saw on Saturday night. Let's get to the news. Andy Harper's going to join us. Uh, After the break, we'll talk some World Cup and also uh, what happened on Saturday night with him.